When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for another episode covering season one, episode three. Uh, Aaron, how's the feedback looking this week? It's looking really good. I want to start off with... Uh, Healthy, you know, no fungus, no, no spores that you've noticed. Well... You know, the FDA doesn't require us to test email for Oh, it's a parts per million thing? You tested it? Yeah, and you yeah, see yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's we, we, close we to assume, the guidelines. We assume that everyone's going to listen to these with Bluetooth earbuds, so there won't be any physical c- contamination, so gotcha, they just don't gotcha. require us to test. Uh, that's actually <laughs> a spoiler for feedback that we'll get later. Oh, all right. Um, we we did get so as I was you know I'm I'm going through and I'm getting the flavor I'm I'm going through and I'm panning through because we we get we got like 175 emails uh, from since like uh, Sunday night. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's near House of Dragon level <laughs> feedback, um, which I thought was incredible. But I, I like this is the first time I just do a pass through Gmail and I just kind of look at the headlines, I look at the subject lines, I try to get a. Uh, a flavor for what people are talking about this week and i just kept on getting all these like pronunciation uh guides <laughs> pronunciation guides i'm like man people don't usually try that shit with me because they just see it's a lost cause and uh-huh. i saw that you it was you that was getting <laughs> yeah. it this week linda you, ron Jim, do you, stat not do you, do you know how to pronounce this woman's name it really bugged people it really really <laughs> triggered the shit out of them that uh, extra understand throwing in understandable uh yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I did a bunch of reading on her. I saw her name spelled out about a hundred times. You don't have to explain yourself to me, it brother. It didn't register. I and think I've I heard you doing it. I, I I what's funny is like I heard you doing it, but my first thought is, oh shit, I've said this name wrong my entire life. Because that's like <laughs> right, right. three that's times a week I discovered that I've been pronouncing something wrong. And we'll continue because that's the whole that's the nice thing about my mental gifts is like once I hear the correct pronunciation, it will forever be a coin flip in my brain. Is it Ronstadt or Ronstadt? Which one is mm-hmm. the wrong one? Oh, shit. I have no ability to tell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are. We're going to clean that up for for, for <laughs> we'll have the hardest hitting Linda Ronstadt coverage from here on out with correct pronunciations. Sarah, sure. Very excited. Very excited for this era of bald move. Uh, if you do want to send us feedback at any time. Uh, about the last of us t lou t-l-o-u at baldmove.com is how you do it and we do have a full bag so we're gonna get right to it andrew c is up first says i'm certainly not the smartest person in the room and i'm only a show watcher but today's feedback episode led me to finally draft my first email to you guys when talking about infection and how it spreads spores via direct uh versus direct contact or tendrils Seems like the show has opted to not have it be based on spores. However, it seems overlooked then that the initial outbreak was food-related, which would be the result of spores. I thought spores weren't the problem or even a possible vector of transmission in a TV show adaptation. Um, so I, hmm. I, I got a couple of emails like this, and when you and I say spores aren't a thing in the TV show, what are we talking about, Jim? Well, in the game, there are sections of it where 
you go into a location and there are spores in the air. So it's an airborne sort of infection. Um, and if you breathe it, those in, you'll become infected yourself. Yeah, and the way the game represents this is usually an indoor area. There might be some concentrated spore outdoor areas. I don't know. But the way the game mm-hmm. shows this is like the air is full of like a fog. Yep. Like a soupy green yellow fog uh, when you go into these areas. So when we say spores aren't a thing, we mean that spores are not in high enough concentration at anywhere in this TV show that if you just breathe them in, you're going to get infected. It's but still you're possible. you right about the, the original outbreak, right? I, I would think those would be spores. There, and, and you're eating them and ingesting them yeah. and that. And, and even Joel said at a high enough concentration. So it's not even automatic, but at a high enough concentration. So when we say spores aren't a thing, it's not that like these fungus don't produce spores and couldn't reproduce by them. It's just it's not the vector that... Um, you get like an affected comes up because that's the thing in the game. Mm -hmm. These infected would get to a certain stage. They would start to, you know, uh, kind of dry out and desiccate and like a mushroom, they would produce fruiting bodies and then just absolutely fill a building, whatever with spores. So that's not happening, but Mm -hmm. the spores in the food is, is still, I think the thing that that we're talking about here. Uh, Andrew also was rewatching episode two and noticed a firefly truck. Remember last week's discussion? We were like, why didn't Joel just steal the firefly truck or take it? Mm-hmm. Um, on the second watch, I thought it became obvious when you see Joel walk around the truck to investigate and he sees the dead body on the ground. You can see the f- fuel tank is riddled with bullet holes. Uh. The truck was dead before the swarm even got there. So I guess if you, you had your eyes peeled, you could see that, uh, there's there's no hope for this truck getting getting down the road. So okay. Sam from the UK said I really love The Walking Dead at its prime, and I would actually contest that the first episode of that show was better than The Last of Us episode one. Having said that, the series has been has been going from strength to strength, and episode three an absolute masterpiece. I admit for a moment as the love story unfolded, I wondered if it was going to be, or I wonder if I was going to like it. Probably because The Walking Dead always did this kind of thing so badly. <laughs> But I should have known better. We've seen many incidents of our heroes in those shows and films coming across people in their beds who have killed themselves. I always wondered about their stories, and this episode told one of these in a very magical way. I don't care that there's only one zombie in the whole show. I can't wait for next week. I thought this was great because I I often, you know, when you see The wa- the Walking Dead and, like, Rick and gr- the group will go past a living room, there's a whole family that shot themselves or you see two people in bed, you know, two skeletons in bed hugging each other. Uh, I, I always think about those people's stories and we essentially got a, almost a, a full episode length version of one of those tales. And it, it, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was magic. Yeah. Yeah. It was a masterpiece. I, I will agree. Um, it's a shame, you know, that 11 years ago, season one of the walking dead was the last time it was actually approaching excellence. Um, yeah, but yeah, that, that first episode is pretty amazing with its depiction of the, uh, let's say near term apocalypse. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, man, some of those episodes in season one of the walking dead were creepy in a way that the show struggled to ever mm-hmm. aspire to again. I, I don't think the walking dead was a total shit show you know, past season one, uh, he got, he got mm-hmm. there in the fullness of time, but, but yeah, like that season one was kind of something special. And it's one of those great. What ifs, what if AMC 
had actually doubled Darabont's budget and not tried to fuck him over and had this Oscar winning director mm-hmm. helming the adaptation, uh, you know, maybe we wouldn't be talking about The Last of Us in such hushed tones because we'd already have one prestige zombie series. But, you know, they fumbled the bag and here we are. Uh, Steven from Long Island says, was I the only one worried about how much talking Bill and Frank were doing after taking enough poison to quote unquote kill a horse? (laughs) Would have been funny if they took too long to make their way to the bedroom and died right then and there at the table. Or maybe Bill drops while uh, pushing Frank down the hall and Frank has to sit there in awkward silence waiting for his turn. Some dark demented thoughts, but it could easily happen in real life. Steven, you and I are simpatico because the first time I was watching this, I was I and I knew it's like there's no fucking way this show is going to have them like go into convulsions at this table or whatnot. But I kept on thinking, <laughs> like, quit fucking around, guys. Uh-huh. Get to wherever you want. <laughs> get to wherever you want to be. And and because, yeah, how how long does this shit take to take effect? Right. Get up there. Make sure you open that window. Uh mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. It's hilarious to me that uh, Frank actually gets a double dose, right? He's got enough to kill a horse plus another bag. Right. So right. if anything, if anybody's going to go first, it's him. Yeah, I would think so. Unless those were smarties that uh, <laughs> Bill crushed up and put <laughs> <Yeah>. into. <laughs> uh, this is very sweet. Very sweet pairing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this, this uh, bottle of wine is very sweet compared to the others. Because that's the thing. It's like I, I, I also had that thought when he was putting the sheer volume of pills in that cup. It's like that's got to change the flavor profile. Oh, bitter. It's like bitter. It's like dr- drinking drinking wine from the aspirin region of France. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> if it's not from the aspirin region, you can only call it sparkling Tylenol. <laughs> um, Ethan says, my wife and I literally just finished the episode. On the whole, I thought it was incredible and very moving episode. However... The scene where Frank asked Bill, do you love me? Then love me the way I want you to really rubbed my wife and I the wrong way. I think this is supposed to be a romantic line, but both my wife and I yelled at the screen in what we perceived to be an incredibly selfish and manipulative request. Bill's asking or Frank is asking Bill to do something deeply traumatic and horrifying and pulls a very manipulative line uh, to do so after Bill is justifiably against if you don't help me kill myself, then you really don't love me is a very manipulative and really paints Frank in a sour light in his last moments. It's the only sore spot in the episode for us. And we wondered if you felt the same, Jim, what's your analysis on the level of manipulation employed here? I mean, I, I can see some people interpreting it that way for sure. Uh, the, the line between romance and abuse is sometimes surprisingly thin. I think, uh, it, I, I, yeah, it's all about knowing the other person and how they're likely to react and feel about a thing, I guess. Yeah, I, I saw some emails along these lines that I think maybe they didn't understand what I understand. But I understand that this is something that Frank and Bill have talked about. This isn't something that Frank just Possibly. woke up and be like, today's the last day and you're going to have to get on board. It's something that they've been talking about, something that they probably argued back and forth over the wisdom versus the merits versus... And I, I mean, I, I look, I, I like my enlightened selfishness uh, as much as the next person. But I do think if you spend 20 years of your life with someone in a post zombie apocalypse and you're literally the only other person in the world to them, you're allowed to make some asks. You're allowed to make mm-hmm. some emotional asks when it's about the end of your life. 
And I imagine, I mean, you want to talk about Frank being selfish in this moment. Imagine how selfish it would be for Bill to refuse and say, no, you're right. going to keep living in pain for as or long as you have as to figure I... out a way to kill yourself and you might bungle it and you're not coordinated enough right. to do it. And, you know, like it's this is a very specific circumstance and mm-hmm. um, it's in a it, it is in a lot more hopeless situation. There isn't like it's not like Frank's just refusing to go to doctor and just wants to like, uh, LOL, kill myself. So yeah, there's no way out for him. And so, I, so it and would I be kind of awful for, for Bill to refuse in some ways. And and I think Bill, that's the other thing is like, I, I think deep down that Bill agrees with Frank. And if the shoe were on the other foot, it would be no question. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, every couple's different, but I didn't. And also, like, do you love me? Then love me the way I want you to. I don't think that's a demand. I think that's an ask. You know, yeah. like you say you love me. Well, why won't you love me the way I, I want to be loved? And in this case is like letting me go. To me, this is like um, there's this great poem that I'm not going to dwell too much about because it makes me cry every time I think about it. But it's from the perspective of an old pet that's asking their owner can i go now because Mm -hmm. i'm constantly in pain i can't eat anymore and it's designed to help a pet owner frame it from like oh my god i'm losing my pet and i need to keep them alive forever (laughs) from the pet's perspective of lonely nights full of pain and not being able to enjoy the things i want and the the pet at the end says something along the lines of if if it's if you're mm, she fuck (laughs) (laughs) ah i always think of my dog Mm -mm. yeah but anyway, the pet says, you know, along the lines of like, if you're not ready to let me go, I can still hold on another day. But can I go now? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's the situation with with Bill and Frank here. So I, I, so I didn't I didn't see that as manipulative at all. But I can see where people might get that opinion. Mm-hmm. Whoo! Goddamn pets! Disproportionate <laughs> impact on our emotions. So I'm just going to say it. Right. It's going to say it. Aria better live forever. Yeah, um, I'd let Frank go in a second, but Astrid? I don't know. <laughs> um, Martin in DC. This is a great episode, but I thought Bill's we have to protect someone. That's all that matters. And damn, whoever gets in our way, letter to Joel was a little bit on the nose for a show that's so far been excellent in showing but not telling. I thought a here's the point of Joel's character arc letter was an unforced error. I, I think we said as much in the instant take. But in the totality of the episode, I thought they did so many subtle things that I don't know. It didn't didn't stick out to me as bad the second or third time I watched it. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about, you know, the three step Martin reveal, and I don't Mm -hmm. think he deserves to patent this this move, but it's that's what we call it. Um you need to let the audience know that this is what we've been trying to do the whole episode is parallel these two guys. And so some of the episode has already figured that out or sorry, some of the people watching the episode have already figured that out. Some of them have not. And if you don't want them to get on the internet and go, what the fuck was the point of that entire episode? I'm bored. This is stupid. Then you have to clue them in, uh, in a very obvious way at the end. And I, I don't know. I, I felt like, sure. It's obvious, but it's also necessary. Yeah, I took a, a public speaking course once, and there was um, there was uh, one of the the educational points was um, repetition for emphasis. Mm-hmm. And the way the guy explained it, it's like you uh, in a good speech or a good public performance, you're going to tell the people what you're going to tell them. Mm-hmm. Then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. 
Yep. Like that rule of three, it seems to be something like kind of in our psychology or just just to make sure that you're getting your point across. And I, I think that's what you're you're I think that's what you're seeing here. Uh, repetition for emphasis. Uh, the other thing is some really good shows tend to do this. Like uh, I coined the phrase way back in Breaking Bad that Vince Gilligan would occasionally don the bacon gauntlet of ham fistedness when mm-hmm. he just wanted to make a point. God damn it. And I don't know if exactly detracted from that show because of controversial opinion, Breaking Bad <laughs> fucking awesome and based, but uh-huh. uh, it did get a little heavy handed at times making its points. And totally. So do I think the leftovers on occasion, like sometimes to get this kind of like melodrama, uh, you, you do, you do, you, you do put the bacon gauntlet on. Yeah. So, so you're uh, right, but I'm okay with it. Yes. I think that's where we're landing there, Martin. Yep. Now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. This Tuesday, we're back off the clock with a new premium podcast covering our experiences with the new Amazon series Fallout, Alex Garland's Civil War, as well as some thoughts on X-Men 97. Then on Friday, The Old Reliable, Lunch with Jim and Aaron. Join us in the Munch Crowd to watch us record live at 1 p.m. Eastern or check out the podcast later that day. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. We try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Just so we're clear about back there, it was either us or the ad. Welcome back to more Savage Starlight. Tom says, hey guys, love the show. Wanted to weigh, on Ellie, weigh in on Ellie killing the trapped mushroom guy. I think she killed him and was looking at him just out of curiosity. This is the only time she's able to get up close and really look at one of those things without fear of I'm getting torn apart. And I think the cut on the head was to, done to simply see what an infected looks like. Hmm. What do you think what it looks about like under the skin, under the surface? Because the thing is, we got a lot of different analysis of uh, Ellie. Um, we're going to, you know, read some of them. But like the one of the defining traits of Ellie seems to be this burning curiosity for how mm-hmm. things work. So I guess I'm I think that makes a lot of sense. The fact that, um, you know, she would be just doing this out of some kind of. uh curiosity some kind of experimental um impulse i suppose i i don't know it's it's weird it's a real weird moment for her and i just don't know much about her yet so i'm not sure how to interpret it because this could be a lot of things uh this could be 
this could be anger. This could be fear. This could be a lot of different emotions that she's feeling here. And we'll, we'll learn more about her. I'm sure. There's another take I really appreciate from Danny says, is Ellie a psycho? I keep hearing people describe her as having bloodlust or being a budding psychopath. And I don't think that's true at all. She's asked Joel very directly if it bothered him when he killed the infected, knowing that they were once normal people. I think when she found this proto-clicker in the gas station uh, cellar and cut into him, she was testing to see if there was any humanity left. When she sliced his face and found no blood, just cordyceps, she saw that the human was gone and was able to then kill him without hesitation. She knows killing is inevitable since when they were out of the QZ uh, and she needed to know how to do it. I'm sure that's why she wants a gun. A lot has been made about her reactions to Joel killing versus Sarah's reaction, but those two situations couldn't be more different. Sarah was in total shock. Her quote-unquote normal was crumbling before her eyes. She'd never been in a situation where dad had to protect her in a violent way, and she didn't think she'd ever have to act in such a way. Ellie, on the other hand, only understands a violent world. She's been kept behind walls her entire life because of a deadly threat. She's not as innocent as Sarah when it comes to killing when Joel beat the Fedra soldier, I don't see her as having bloodlust, but was impressed that someone would fight to protect her. I think this is a pretty good take on the whole Ellie situation. What do you think? I think that's reasonable. I really like the explanation that she is, um, yeah, cutting it to see if there's any humanity because she has asked questions along this line. I will say this is where I really sometimes wish this whole uh cottage industry that's popping up of creators getting on to the podcasts and the TV shows after shows and saying exactly what they were thinking when they made it should probably not be a thing because Craig Mazin said something that directly contradicts your opinion on like the difference between Sarah and Ellie. He, he basically said, look at Sarah, look at Ellie. There's a huge difference in the way that they're reacting to Joel's violence and that's because there's something in Ellie that enjoys it, that that appreciates it in a way that Sarah did not. And I, I don't think he's simply talking about like, oh, I appreciate someone that will protect me because I'm in a world that need I need protection in. I think it's it's a lot deeper than that, and it's a lot darker than that. that yeah, that's that's I, what I was getting from the comments that he made on the official after show thing. The thing about the official after show things are, number one, I believe in the death of the author. So fuck Craig Mazin uh-huh. and Neil Bruckman. If I don't like <laughs> if I don't like what they're saying and I can defend my point of view from what's on the screen, then I can have my interpretation, too. Absolutely. The second is I have observed, especially with like House of the Dragon, that they use these publicity pieces as another layer of storytelling and are quite comfortable with lying to you obvious telling obvious lies about director or uh, character motivations and internal thoughts mm. that cannot possibly be substantiated by later events and a close look at the source material and a close look at the what was actually filmed i can't think of an exact example that i have but there was a couple things it, it was it was the there's a coronation it was the coronation yeah the the, the yeah the um uh the the, the uh-huh. question was one of them where I'm like nah fucking no fucking way but there's also something earlier in like episode three and yes. I just I, mm-hmm. my conclusion is that they I think that um, you know if you ever watched Kit Arrington give an interview about Jon Snow what is it, around season five season six he's like oh yeah looks like I'm just dead I'm just dead I don't know what I'm gonna do after Game <laughs> right, of Thrones like they that fucking was lie yeah because they fucking knew. lie 
Yeah, that's like they're still on the clock, everybody. They're doing this is a mm. part of their paid gig. So the magician is not necessarily telling you all their secrets here. Um, Here's the thing. And even I, if they I are, fuck them because we have our interpretations too. I've listened to many hours of Craig Mason talk about writing, about his own stories, the way he tells stories. I've never gotten sure. a vibe that this guy would do that, that this really? guy would willingly tell you a falsehood about a story simply to preserve some surprise later in in the story that that he's telling i he just simply wouldn't say anything about it i hmm. i don't know i yeah, you might, maybe you i'm might giving right him too that. much credit because I've maybe he's to learned podcast, but or ryan maybe Connell, he's turning ryan over ryan a new like hey you're sleep. a little too honest in these things you're, you're not appreciating the opportunity yeah. to fuck with the fans man and they, they like have, to be fucked with <laughs> john august was the one who was keeping him from lying his ass off the entire it's time exactly um scott from williamson said did how did frank in the middle of the day fall down a hole with little physical damage was he a raider scout who then fell for bill curious what your thoughts are i got a surprising amount of this type of feedback where they couldn't figure out why frank fell into a hole in broad daylight and it was covered what are they missing here yeah they show a there's a scene where bill is constructing that hole and he puts like a mesh over the top and covers it in mud so uh, and grass and stuff so he wouldn't be able to know that there was a hole there until he fell in yeah it's a deadfall pit and it's it's weird oh. it's like uh it's it's seen from the angle of the pit but you yeah. can see him yeah he's got like this chicken wire and he's slowly kind of like filling in the things with mud and, and eventually so i i think that frank just stepped on like essentially an inch and a half thick of soil that covered this pit and fell and that's how he injured yeah. himself because it's imagine it was pretty traumatic to just think you're walking on level ground and boom you're in an eight foot pit yeah uh he's lucky frank didn't put a whole bunch of stakes down there right i'm sorry bill bill didn't put a bunch of stakes down there that that might be a showrunner because like i i kind of think bill would i don't yeah. think bill would make non-lethal traps he doesn't seem the type no although it does it does it is in keeping with the game i guess there is a non-lethal trap mm. in the game that is important but all right sure. audrey says i just want to take a moment to admire the positive direction of diversity we're seeing in tv and other entertainment medias while i was blown away by the shockingly sweet post-apocalyptic love story between two queer individuals i also couldn't help but root for ellie finding the tampons my God, would being on your per- period be a fucking nightmare in this world, especially with little to no medication readily available to help moderate its effects? I loved her finding the box was played as a pure victory without devolving into an after-school special. She's a young woman. She's got a period. Finding tampons is a huge score. It made me laugh even more when you see her filling a bag at Bill's house with toilet paper. As my husband pointed out when we first moved in together, and once again during the pandemic, women by necessity go through significantly more TP than men. Seems true. Seems true from my experience. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a small thing in a larger context. I was just tickled to have one of my first media experiences normalizing women's basic hygiene needs and an adaptation of a zombie video game. <laughs> uh, yeah, the zombie video games leading the way. Leading the way. It's certainly better than The Walking Dead in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. We talked about like how they do actually expire and Ellie might not want to use these because she might get all sorts of horrible blood diseases and die. But sure. Sure. Yeah, we got a fair amount of email, sincere, heartfelt email from uh, gay, gay husbands around the country and around the world saying how much they admired that this was, you know, 
just a regular old love story between you know mm-hmm. two ma- mature men and how they felt like it really reflected some of their experiences and uh maybe feel good maybe feel good that uh that 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 people are feeling feeling seen nowadays yeah um, and even as someone who's straight it still resonates with me because it is such a universal uh feeling a universal relationship depiction yeah yeah it just it felt right that's what when we did a podcast on brokeback mountain i that's what i came away with is how yeah like different but the same like the first time you see the boy or girl you feel special about like the flutters you get like those are kind of universal and even if Mm -hmm. you're like i don't know late 40s early 50s guys like bill or you're a 16 year old guy like uh uh heath ledger like there is a surprising amount of things that you can relate to regardless of your orientation like yeah the feelings are the same the experiences map just, on yeah the sexes are different so i couldn't say it better I couldn't say it better myself jim uh alan says just finished episode three and the only complaint i have is i want to see more bill and more frank bill is the mvp of surviving a zombie apocalypse and frank has some hilarious one-liners if T. Lou is a hit and HBO is de- desperate for more content, can you see them doing a Bill and Frank spinoff? Even knowing how their story ends, there are still 20 years of great stories they can tell. Would you guys be interested in watching the further adventures of Bill and Frank? I, I think, I, yeah, I would certainly give that show a try. Uh, I would have said a few years ago, eh, I don't know, this doesn't seem like HBO style, but boy, are they leaning into spinoffs and franchising in the yeah, game of thrones the, universe so maybe the disco max era yeah yeah we'll see i i like i would like to see it as a ch- a charming series of children's books in the vein of frog and toad together again bill right. bill and frank you know in that sure. exact same illustration style mm-hmm. the exact same type of stories i i would love to see that but yeah, if you get Nick Offerman and uh, this guy from White Lotus to to do a couple seasons of the further ventures of Frank and Bill, Frank and Bill year one, Frank and Bill year five, Frank and, yeah, I, I would check that out for sure. I would also watch uh, Nick Offerman build all of the defenses in the first like yes. six weeks of that, of that, like fix up his house, fix up the walls, yeah. It'd be funny if he like to stave off madness if he did like a Bob Via kind of uh, this mm-hmm. old house, but it was just like, yo, today we're gonna look at the outer perimeter. Uh, yeah. I got an idea to turn this electrified fence into something a lot more heartwarming, and <laughs> you know he starts going to work on the gas pipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the the possibilities are endless. Maybe the other thing is, is like, I don't I, I don't know if HBO is doing the physical media as much or putting as much into it, but like that would also be a great series of webisodes or short mm-hmm. things on the, that you can shovel onto the blu-ray just just throwing it out there hbo uh casey says i almost got taken out of the show right from the beginning due to a silly production choice when bill and ellie are resting at the river there's a title card that says 10 miles west of boston when they're clearly on the banks of a west northern um, north western north american looking river and a dense old growth evergreen forest with very large mountains in the background mm-hmm. i know the show show us filmed in Alberta, but could they at least do some digital painting to make it fit the plot location better? Sure, the stuff is par for the course for mid-run Walking Dead, but I expect more from a, a flagship HBO. Um, 
I don't know what to make of this because that is the le- that that was not even on my radar. I kind of wondered if like ten miles outside of Boston, it would be this national park looking. But I've had mm-hmm. firsthand experiences where you get. I mean, honestly, this is a lot of cities in America. You get 15, 10, 15 miles out of a major metropolitan area and you're in the fucking sticks. You're just in rural America. You can be. So yeah. I don't have as fine a geography detector living most of my life in the Midwest as as uh, obviously you mass holes do. Um, <laughs> did you did you get like this is obviously not New England kind it of vibes? Didn't feel very New Englandy to me. Um and now that you pointed out, yeah, I, I I can see it. Um I also saw an email saying, yeah, ten miles outside of Boston is still basically Boston. It's like suburbs except, you know, uh not not technically part of Boston, but it's very like strip molly. Right. That makes sense. I, I've also seen that. Like you go you try and go ten miles out of Chicago, you're not hitting forest. Uh and Boston is, is a similar size city so but, so i don't i don't think we're talking about 10 miles from the city center i think we're talking about like 10 miles uh-huh. from what you would call the outskirts of the city and that's like yeah 10 miles outside of downtown indianapolis you're still in you know within the 465 loop but you get out that and it rapidly like 10 minutes past mm-hmm. 465 you're in a fucking corn belt dude so sure yeah they, and 10 miles south you're in the hills of southern indiana so i think the thing was they needed some reasonable distance that they could have traveled in a short amount of time true because uh, they don't want to show up day. like four weeks later to bill's combat, yeah, right? yeah 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 <laughs> but they also yeah, needed need it, it to be kind of rural so you don't have any any real danger of uh the infected on the positive side, Casey concludes with thankfully has pulled back into the world the next scene when they arrived at a Cumberland Farms, which is a ubiquitous convenience store in the region, affectionately known as Cumbies to New Englanders. Cumbies. Oh, my God. Anyway, as long as the writing stays strong, I can get past stuff like this. But if other aspects of the show start to show creaks, it would be less forgivable. It's funny. I, I, was, I was just watching Justified. I'm doing a series rewatch of that in the background. And it's always Chuck. I always get a chuckle out of how. Southern California, Kentucky looks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eastern Kentucky. It's it's very suspiciously Southern California that they're justified. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. But uh, Trevor, in episode three, a flashback happens to September 30th, 2003. There's a sign as the citizens are being driven out of town. The sign specifically says Fedra. My question is, are we to believe it took only four days for a branch of government called Fedra to form? Or is Fedra just FEMA in the game and show world? You had that question because I remember on the show, I remember you saying something about like... Probably wouldn't be Fedra yet, but... But it was. Yeah. Wild. So is this an alternate universe where, yeah, Fedra is FEMA or... Because, like, you know, FEMA in the fevered imaginations of, of, of some people is like this jackboot New World Order waiting in the wings for the right mm-hmm. disaster to come and declare martial law and strip everyone of their sovereign rights, right? So mm-hmm. I think that this is a little bit like that version of FEMA, like FEMA with teeth. Sure. Um, but it's not clear to me why they wouldn't just call that FEMA. Like, why did they have to invent a new name for it? Because they're not shy about using because a lot of shows are just doing the current events they don't use like the real president uh-huh. you know like 24 had president palmer right that's mm-hmm. uh um but they're very ostensibly in the or not ostentatiously clearly 
Um, they're using the current government, like George W. Bush, uh, you know, post 9-11 politics. So it's like, I don't know. Why wouldn't you just have FEMA under like the auspices of the National Guard, maybe? And then they like years past would would fuse together. But yeah, I it doesn't yeah, that, make it doesn't it, make sense. That was my assumption that like, yeah, that that it would be our real world organizations until sometime after the fall. And then they would have come up with this. But uh, yeah, it seems like they're just both, I guess, in the game also probably. Yeah. In uh, here, they're just going with a different organization. Yeah. Um, and you know, in the game, it might work that way because, like, I, you know, we didn't see these scenes, so it could be the mm-hmm. Fedra is a post-apocalyptic or formed organization, and they're just kind of trying to square the circles here. But uh, Jessica says, "I work for uh, quality control for a food company, and I think using flowers and infection mechanism is smart because the flower industry is notorious for not treating or testing for microorganisms." Did you know this, Jim? No. I got to stop most eating of, pancakes. You got it. Well, raw anyone. Uh, anyway, most other dry ingredients are tested to verify there's no harmful bacteria or mold, which is a form of fungus, but not flour. Flour companies assume that raw flour will be cooked prior to consumption. So they don't bother treating to reduce the microorganisms. They definitely don't test it because if they did find anything pathogenic, they'd have to alert the FDA. When you eat raw cookie dough, you should really be more concerned with the flour than the eggs because at least commercially sold eggs are treated with pasteurization. I don't know if cordyceps spores could be detected through traditional testing methods, but you can't find what you're not looking for. Hmm. Holy shit. Just blew the lid off big flour here, Jim. What? Yeah. I mean, it pretty pretty obviously spread through oatmeal raisin cookies now. They're just eating the (laughs) uncooked batter. Sure. Sure. It's that old lady's Uh, fault. I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't understand how this loophole exists. This seems insane. Yeah. Oh, I mean, no one eats raw flour. Yeah, but a lot of people eat raw cookie dough. A lot of people lick their fingers. A lot of people inhale that shit when they're sifting it or they're rolling it out or, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just gets places, you know? I, that seems insane. It does. It does. I don't, I don't know what to do about it, but it seems crazy. Last of Us is a uh, is muckraking journalism here to expose the flower industry for its corrupt, unclean business practices. We'll see. We'll see if uh, Craig Mazin's uh, heartfelt plea goes goes heard. Uh, Craig T says the whole series is ten episodes. Brace yourself, Greg. Is actually only nine. And we're on episode three already, and there's so much more story to come. How are they going to fit it, fit it all in without feeling forced or skipping huge parts? They're going to spend 50 minutes developing characters that in the end lead to nothing. Shouldn't they have spent that time developing the bond between Ellie and Joel or Joel and Tess or even Ellie's backstory? Wouldn't that be more beneficial to the overall story? This is going to sound controversial, but it's all pos- is it at all possible that Druckmann decided to make this episode to provoke the fans that gave him shit during The Last of Us 2 <laughs> backlash? No, I don't think so. I don't think Mason would let him make a fuck you like that. It's, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, Look, we have, like I said, six, seven, maybe more hours of this still to go. There is plenty of time, plenty of time to get these two characters bonded. And they have shown they are willing to barrel through 
the stuff that happens in the game when it's not super relevant, right? Like this this uh, battery that they were searching for with like uh, mm-hmm. Robert. What's his? What's the guy's name? That just ends Bill? up dead. No, no, the guy who had the battery initially just sold it. Double cross. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the gangster. Yeah, that guy. He's he's like an hour and a half, or or maybe slightly less. He, he's like an hour worth of the game, but he's like five minutes worth of the show and that yeah. was fine that's totally unnecessary to have like a big firefight to come take him out and get just to realize like oh you don't have the battery and all that stuff there are smart cuts that they can make to this that will reduce the amount of time we have to spend on plot that doesn't go anywhere and they'll they'll really do up the important stuff and i feel like this is this is table setting this is the first act break right like now you know here's how these characters feel about each other now and could feel about each other in the future and and how different that is um i i think it's i think it's smart it's it's a good way to tell this story because the question now in our minds is are joel and ellie gonna find this kind of bond that like frank and bill found are they going to become like a father-daughter team or is it going to be this resentment is one of them going to get killed what is that going to do to the other like yeah we have tons of time tons of time yeah and they've done such a good job it's so efficient the way they've told the story already like they could do a single episode of them just walking and bond them like in an hour yeah I think I saw that the average playtime for The Last of Us was ten to the ten to twenty hours, and I think the last uh, the last time I played The Last of Us, it took me about eleven hours and change to beat it. Gotcha. Um, so like you can imagine, like that's almost a that's eleven episode season of television, but so much of The Last of Us, like well over half of that runtime is just combat mechanics and dying and being reborn mm-hmm. and dying again and things they're trying different things to get past this fucking clicker and that fucking clicker so I think there's still <laughs> yeah. plenty of time and this felt like I'm I'm not worried about the pacing here's the other thing is like I've seen people that I trust and admire like Alan Seppenwall who has seen the entire season and if this thing fell off in the last half now Alan's not a video game fan mm-hmm. um, if this thing fell off from a conventional storytelling uh, position I think we would have heard it by now it might further deviate from the video game canon but so far three episodes in I have been largely supportive for every deviation and things I was skeptical in I was a little skeptical about the spore stuff I was big skeptical about mm-hmm. Bella Ramsey being able to be Ellie that shit's way in my rearview mirror so I guess mm-hmm. I just have a lot more I, I saw a lot of people's feedback where it's like people that aren't familiar with the game is like I don't get the fucking hype that this show's getting three episodes in you know, because it's got thin, underdeveloped characters. Well, yeah, we're three episodes in. The mm-hmm. reason the, the reason millions of people are excited is because we've played the game. We know it's got the goods. And so far, the show has been banging it out of the park. So we have no reason to... I, I, this is getting like late game Breaking Bad hype because we've already played through the bra- Breaking Bad. And we're on like halfway through season one. But we can see that they're just nailing it, right? So it's possible that they fuck it up in a way that might uniquely piss off gamers or fans of the game that like other people I've seen enjoy this in its entirety through screeners. Like again, Alan Suppenwall wouldn't pick up on, but man, I really doubt it. And I, I I'm, I'm going to break with Jim. I don't think Druckmann is above fuck you to the, <laughs> I you know, know. Hardcore. I think Mason is above it. 
Well, but I'm like, I don't think, I think also Druckmann's got enough pride and knowledge that like he would not make a worse show just to stick it to those people because it would give sure. them the ammunition to be like, well, look, you fucked it up. Your woke episode tore the heart out of Joel and, and Ellie's relationship and you, you done fucked it up. He's not going to do that. But if it serves both purposes, makes a richer story, more compelling story mm-hmm. and pisses off the people that he probably doesn't have a ton of like respect for and maybe thinks that the fan base would be better if they weren't in it. Um, yeah, I could I could see that, but I don't think he would ever do that, you know, yeah. uh, uh, at the expense of what uh, of a story that he feels very passionate about. And here's the thing. If you're a fan of the game, sit down and think about the plot in that game. The plot yeah. in that game is very thin extremely thin and there are a couple of sequences of good character development i would say the plot of this entire game can be done can be finished within two episodes Hmm. but you i'd say three and a half four but sure we're we're closer than we are apart yeah i i mean two two episodes is like could be up to three hours of television right like yeah true these are long episodes anyway i think it could be done in two episodes that leaves another four episodes for bonding stuff. I don't need that much bonding. Like I said, I think you can get it done in one episode too, if you really want to stretch it. And then it's all just about finishing out that plot in a satisfying way. Yeah. Yeah. I and, and I don't I, think it'll be that cut and dry. I don't think it's going to be like, Oh, Oh, here's the bonding episodes. I think it's going to be more like, here's a little bit of plot. Here's a little bit of bonding. And over the next five episodes, we'll see them just completely bonding and getting to the point where the finale can set up. And then, you know, you'll hit them with the big, the big stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, I, but. I just, I just feel like as each episode, my faith in this production becomes more and more rock solid because this, uh-huh. I, we might even have said this before it was announced that like when, cause this is something we get asked on lunch with Jim and Aaron a lot, you know, what video games you think would be good? What properties do you think would be good for adaptations? And I think the last of us is brought up and I thought I remember maybe we just heard that Craig Mazin was attached to it and we instantly said like that's such a perfect fit because Chernobyl you're half mm-hmm. what like with the early goings of Chernobyl you're halfway there to nailing the tone and the atmosphere of the game mm-hmm. and this guy it can tell a, a, a really compelling story um, about this huge kind of disaster that affects a big par- portion of the globe he's a good choice and like Neil Druckmann as this great storyteller it's already directed all these videos and there's a couple things i had questions about like could neil Druckmann make that jump to television we've already got an episode he directed it was a banger like everything that i had fears about have been alloyed and every or allayed and every feeling prior that i had that this was going to be awesome has been confirmed so like i think it is it's it, I, I think there's some people that are not familiar with the background and maybe the the pedigree the show has and they're like jesus we are really sucking this show's uh fruiting body after three episodes like you know mm-hmm. how many times have we seen something be awesome until it gets to the end and then it falls apart you know cough cough game of thrones cough you know many many such sure. examples sure i just don't think this is going to be one mm-hmm. of those i would be shocked to my core if they shit the bed in the the you know penultimate or finale episode but we will see watch out for that fungus we'll be right back with more savage starlight (laughs) 
Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. Uh, Jin says, I know there wouldn't be a game to play if this happened, but I was thinking, why doesn't Jess, Jess and Toll, why doesn't Tess and Joel ask to live in Billville? Obvious. Yeah. Is there, is there a benefit to Tess and Joel to want to live in the QZ? It seems like a lot of years go by where they are all friends and it would make sense for Frank to... Try to convince Bill for another couple to stay. It just seems like a better option than working for rations and accusing and smuggling. There are no friends to be had. That's I, I don't think Bill would let him. That's the thing. Can you imagine that the I, I imagine Frank tried to talk him into it occasionally. Yes. Yeah. But Bill, like, did you see his reaction to meeting new people? The idea uh-huh. that he would let someone inside their fence forever and ever and ever? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine that, like, you know, 14 years pass and he doesn't trust these people enough to maybe consider it. But, yeah, Bill is a stubborn dude, apparently. Yeah, and paranoid, and that's something that's mm-hmm. part of his kind of nature and has probably came from some place that is harder to talk out of. And, you know, it's this this uneasy kind of, like, push and pull in their relationship. But, yeah, like, Bill's like, what... Forget it, Frank. What if we want to fuck in the strawberry patch, huh? We're going to have to make sure that Bill, J- Joel and Tess are not look like, yeah, Bill doesn't want any of that from a security standpoint, from a privacy standpoint. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca says, I am not a game player, but I can see the many details in the show that make it so special. A little detail I noticed is the China set that Bill uses in the first dinner scene. I recognize because it's the same Linux China set that I have. This little detail, hmm. the name of the pattern is Liberty. I looked it up because, you know, every once in a while you get people that are mistaken or whatnot. But as far as I can tell, yeah, Bill's using the Liberty cha- uh, China pattern. And I think that is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, these, mo- these are certainly his mom's dishes. So she must have been a kindred spirit. But yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't able to include this email for time. But someone pointed out that uh, there is a. Um, a needlepoint like sampler in the background that has a phrase uh, like come in the morning, come in the evening, come uninvited, like all are welcome. Kind of like <laughs> that's his, the, his, his mom's, uh-huh. you know, but he got, I mean, like I, I would imagine that his Bill's parents are probably some brand of patriots, some brand of person that really identifies with the indiv- rugged individualism, that's sure. a stereotypical bound up in the American spirit. So, yeah, Liberty China makes perfect sense. 
Um, Dan in Connecticut says, you were wondering or discussing how it's mildly interesting to think of what the survivors must need to do to keep the remnants of society running. There's an old saying in economics and manufacturing that nobody really knows how to make a pencil. Basically, the point is even the simplest products from an industrialist society rely on complex interdependent systems and disconnected reservoirs of knowledge. The U.S. government has massive strategic stockpiles and over eight depots nationwide. But my guess is even with the vastly reduced population, these reserves are near depletion. As long as remaining humans need to worry about infected or infection, I can't see them rebooting society back to modern capabilities. It's colonial Williamsburg at best. But I'm excited to see if the show goes anywhere near the issue in the remaining six episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a good point. Something I saw, it's, it was either something I read or in one of those, um, you know, Discovery Channel specials about Earth after humans or whatever. Someone made the point is, have we ever suffered like an industrial collapse to where like machinery was very difficult to ma- keep and maintain that we might, like humans might never recover the level of lifestyle we have now? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you bought, we bombed us back to the Stone Age because... A lot of those gains, early gains, were made. Like, there is no, like, oil just at the surface. Mm-hmm. You got to get it three miles underneath the ocean nowadays. You have to rip a whole fucking mountaintop off to get at the coal. You have to, like, industrial process thousands and thousands of meters of whatever to get the lithium out to make the your solar panels and your batteries and all that shit. Like, we have... We are so sophisticated of extracting resources that we've extracted all the resources that you could extract without the crazy technology that we have to do it. It'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, dude, you'll, we'll never run out of uh, minerals. They're on the asteroid belt. Well, if we're <laughs> fucking Stone yeah. Age, we'll never be able to get to space because we've already fucking used up the shit that you can just pick up off the ground. So I always keep this in mind of like how if we fall, fall hard as a species we probably won't ever get it back in geological time frames. It'll be hundreds of millions of years before some other species could try an industrial revolution again, if that. Yeah, seems pretty plausible. I, I, I want to say maybe we're at we're at a point where someone with the right leadership, um, you could have someone who understands that and focuses up on getting back to a level uh it puts all of the resources left into getting back to that level uh yeah. in some small capacity but would that civilization would that society survive when there would be other pockets of people out there they're not thinking that way and are just right. thinking i'm going to come in here i'm going to kill these people i'm going to take what they've got and yeah it, it would it would be a massive stroke of luck i think to get back in in a reasonable time period uh, to our current level of civilization. Yeah, so let's just all agree not to fuck this up, okay? Just like yeah. you know, let's just all let's just all decide. We're not going. We're not going to fuck up civilization. Going to going to going to do what it takes to keep it going. Uh, Brian wonders: Does Ellie not trigger the zombies? The one in the cellar was pretty mellow, and they largely ignored tests when they bum rushed a building. Do they only attack the uninfected or uninfected? I should say. This is kind of mildly interesting. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've also, wondered. they made a, lo- a lot of deviations from the show. Like we, here's what we know: we know that Ellie shows up as infected when she takes a scan. Mm-hmm. Um, but does she? Does she? Would she actually transmit the infection if some if she bit somebody or scratched somebody accidentally? 
Mm. Um, I don't know. It's a good question to wonder because like, yeah, is she a carrier? Like some people are carrier and like immune and they don't spread. And then there's like people like that typhoid Mary that was immune to the disease, but could could, but was still infected and spread it. Mm-hmm. So that remains to be seen. Which of which of Ellie is, is which. Uh, Alicia says, hey, guys, I'm loving The Last of Us so far and enjoy your commentary. Well, thank you. One thing does confuse me. During your instant take, you painted Ellie as a rebellious teenager who ignores everything her father figure Joel says. But coming from someone who hasn't played the games and doesn't know the story, I see her as a victim of human trafficking. Her kidnappers, who kept her chained in a room for who knows how long, pawned her off to a strange couple, one of whom was a woman with a beat-up face, after a bloody gunfight. The woman dies, and now Ellie's alone at the mercy of a mean old man who has no issues punching someone to death. Would she really view that man as a father figure? If I had her, I'd want a gun too. Sure. I I see that perspective, yeah. I mean, she's definitely yeah. that, right? She is a product of child trafficking stuff here. Um, sure. She hasn't had a lot of agency in like, where she's going and who she's going with. and No. And it seems like from taking her seriously. very young age, right? Uh, yeah. For her to believe Marlene put her in that Fedra school. Yeah, literally chained to a radiator. I, I, I do feel like Ellie is not playing it that way. Like, if you want to inter- read that into, like, you know, her lashing out the zombie, her obsession with a gun, I do see that she's probably got a pretty good read on characters, and, like, Joel's a dangerous guy, but not that kind of dangerous, or at least I think she thinks that. Dangerous, so, but, but good also. Yeah, he's not the type of guy who's going like, you know, at this point, um, they've had a, at least a full day of like post tests. But, you know, the other thing is like, do you, when do you if you're if you're a 14 year old girl in this circumstance, when would you actually relax with this man? Mm-hmm. Like, because like, yeah, maybe he's chill now. But like, what if he got drunk one night? You know, what if he you know, what what if it was him or you? And are in a raider situation. Like, is there? I, I can see. Like, maybe there's a little bit of wanting the gun to be able to protect herself or make sure she feels like she has a, an option to do that. I can see that. Yeah, she just seems. The vibe I get from her in this series is she's very at ease around Joel. You know, she doesn't like him necessarily very much right now, but she's not acting crazy defensive. Right? She's not right. on guard at all times. She feels comfortable that this man is not going to harm her directly um you know it's it's a whole other question if he like tucks tail and runs and leaves her to die somewhere or something but like she doesn't fear him and so i guess i don't i don't see it as like she's going against her will because she also wants to go you know be a part of this this firefly plan to you know save the world or whatever that's kind of her goal too so this feels less like human trafficking every episode, I guess. And from my experience of 14 year olds, which isn't substantial, but I've, you know, I've just, I just, I'm raising a 16 year old right now. So I got that sample size plus all of his friends and family. It seems like once you get like 12, you are just in an all fire hurry to be an adult. Sure. And then you get there and you realize it sucks and you wish you could go back. But up until that, it seems like, you know, like you've adults just could do whatever the hell they want. No one could tell them what to do. Uh, you know, they get to do cool things that uh, you've always seen people do as a kid and you want to do it to yourself and you fantasize about. So, like, I think my read on Ellie is that she wants to be seen as grown and capable by Joel. Mm-hmm. 
she wants to be taken serious. She wants to, you know, she sees Joel as an impressive guy. She wants to be seen as impressive. And that that's, that's how I'm viewing all these events. But, you know, I would be surprised if there's not some kind of fear there that's motivating that desire for a gun too. Like you're saying, Alicia. Alexis from Brooklyn says, first, I want to say that this is one of the most beautiful episodes of television I've ever watched. And I hope it wins all the awards. One thing that really stuck out stuck yeah stuck out to me was Ellie's behavior in Bill and Frank's home in the final scenes. I understand that she didn't have a relationship with them and was raised in a collapsed society, but my god, her general disrespect for their home and lack of customs and manners was unnerving. <laughs> Viewers just watched an epic love story in which a main development was Frank slowly over time breaking down Bill's emotional walls through connection, art, and post-apocalyptic interior design. Frank got Bill to appreciate living for life and not for survival. Then we have Ellie being a literal bull in a china shop, slamming doors, creeping around, touching everything with seemingly no remorse. Their home, just a utility to her. Got me thinking that kids her age who have been around so much death really wouldn't have any sense of how to act gracefully in these situations. Made me sad in an already devastating episode. And yet, typically in totalitarian military societies, strict rules and adherence to social norms are enforced. So is Ellie a rebel in this society, or is she just rude? How much of pre-mushroom social norms carried over to the new world? I, I mean, kids are just like this, right? Kids just don't have the respect for really anything yet. And boy, a kid without parents, a kid who... Yeah, is kind of let off of, like in some cases, the literal leash... Uh, for this first time is not going to have any respect for what she views as just like this desolate, empty hellscape, right? Like she she doesn't think she's in here in like somebody's home so much as she is just out here in the wilderness. But also she's a kid. I don't don't know that I've ever seen a 14-year-old who has much, the same kind of respect that an adult would have for this situation. Like, sure. It's, it's, yeah, it takes a special kid to even care about this shit. And Ellie, I guess, is not that way. Why would she be? We, you got to know better to do better, too. And like, let's all of our standards as far as like how we keep things clean and how we show respect and decorum and manners. These are all artificial constructs. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred thousand years ago when we lived in caves, cleanliness meant something different than it does today. And, you know, you know Alexis here is from Brooklyn I don't know. Like, have you ever, when you were growing up, spent time in a dirty house, a house that was in ill repair that, you know, might not have had some major appliances that work. Some switches just didn't work because your parents couldn't afford to keep it up. And you just like see that as normal. And then you go to a friend's house and like everything's in the house is new and everything's in good repair and they've got the resources to keep it that way. It's like there's a disconnect between kids that have the one experience and kids that don't. Right. And if you look at the quarantine zone, that is a dilapidated, just ramshack. Like people are just essentially squatting in shattered buildings that don't have power, don't have central heat, probably don't even have central, you know, water. Uh, their floors are filthy. There's no paint and caulk to keep everything up. So everything's just kind of a shit, a shithole. And like, why would you show respect to a shithole? Why wouldn't you spit on the floors? Why wouldn't you put your feet on the the 
the the furniture you know why would you try to do and you know i mean you could give reasons why yeah you should always try to maintain a certain uh, standard of cleanliness and organization but like it doesn't make as much sense and that one principle goes a long way to explaining like you know like 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 why people that come from backgrounds of poverty or other disadvantages have a harder time breaking into polite society because it's just like some things you just kind of know by osmosis if you have those stable kind of like clean organized environments do not come naturally if you don't because why the fuck would they you know so when i when i was roughly 14 I, I had no respect for anything either. Why would I? Uh, we used to play this game in our basement. Uh, so, so we had a tiled basement with like a pool table and like a, a bar in it. And we used to have, we had a dartboard down there. And what we would do being idiot kids is we would put on our roller skates, turn the lights off and, and take the tips off the darts and ro- roller skate around the basement in the dark, throwing darts at each other as like a tag sure. game, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee you're not going to break anything there. And at one point, we just decided we're going to put the tips on the darts and we're going to throw them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and, and I mean, that's so it put a hole in, in my cousin's arm, but it also put okay. holes in the walls and holes in the sure. everything. Like, you're just an idiot at that age, right? You have no yeah. respect for anything. So there's that too. There's there's the you know lack of appreciation because you don't know like because I you're right. Kids are naturally destructive because they don't know what it takes to maintain things. Right. They don't care. You know. They're just like they don't I want to have a good like, time. Right. This sounds fun. Right. I'm gonna have to grow around and fix all these holes before we move out because like you know they don't like the the whole concept of like don't make a mess because you don't want to clean up the mess because you have to clean up messes for the rest of your fucking life. <laughs> you clean the bathroom and next week it's dirty again. You yeah. clean your clothes next week it's dirty. Just fucking don't make a mess and you do have yeah they don't understand the wisdom of that stuff right mm-hmm. um oscar a says listen to your recap podcast and it came across the part where bill gets gun cray with the bad guys outside the fence while i agree that having another character getting gut shot is distracting i disagree with your pov that's a bad production detail for the filmmakers i think it was emotionally driven bill admits to frank that he's basically gained fear along with love in their post-apocalyptic town to me, it says that Bill overacted emotionally when Billville was attacked and put himself in danger to try to protect his beloved. I'm sure his doomsday prepper brain hated him for that, but I was emotionally invested in this scene and that he survived as much as Bill was to keep Frank safe. Uh, an amazing episode. Jim, does this ameliorate your concerns about Bill standing in the middle of the street with a deer rifle? No, not at all. I, I yeah. agree with what you're saying. <laughs> like, it, that uh-huh. is the point of those scenes. But also, yeah. a man like Bill would in no way be caught off guard by this. You're he right. would have a plan. He would have practiced it and drilled it a hundred times over. And he would yeah. know exactly what to do, whether he's waking up with brain fog in the middle of the night or not. Yeah. I don't care how many bottles of Beaujolais he has. He's He knows his fucking plan. He's probably yeah, going to his purpose up on each wall, Cap- like exit signs in a hotel, right? Like... Yeah, he knows this, but he he doesn't do any of it or he seemingly doesn't even have that plan, which is the thing that bothered me. Yeah, no, like I said, I mean, I, if you want to gloss it over and it's fine, like I it's it's, you know, your interpretation is just as valid as mine or Craig Mason or Neil Druckmann. But yeah, like when you're saying that this is your purpose, I don't think you're allowed to just fuck up because like the thing that you've been dreading slash hoping that happens is finally happens and you just lose 
all sense of training and decorum and put yourself, which puts your beloved at risk. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bill is a completely emotionally unregulated person. He does not strike me as that. And I think that's what it would take to excuse this big a fuck up. A lot of people pointed out, and again, this was cut because of time, but now since we're talking about it, also taking a bolt action single shot, you know, rifle out there to engage these attackers when you see the shit that he's yeah. got. Like any one of the shotguns would have been a better choice. Any of his like assault semi-automatic or probably automatic at this point in the apocalypse rifles that he had would be so much better weapons to attack these guys with than this single shot, you know, especially at the range we're talking about. We're talking mm-hmm. at like less than 100 yards. And he's got this like fucking 30. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um yeah, I, I just thought that that was just... And again, it's only like 30 seconds long, but it could have been a lot better and we wouldn't have this conversation. But I'm glad if it doesn't... If this was it, Frank, if Frank were out in the street with a gun... Sure. Th- totally, I buy it. He does it, not if, care nearly as yeah. much about Bill. And Bill could be super worried for him, right? Like, you idiot. Right. We need you back inside because you're going to get killed. Right. We have a plan for this, or I have a plan for this. But not right. Bill. Not Bill. That would have been a good way to do it. Like if Bill was like at at cover, undercover, just servicing targets, and Frank worrying runs out with his gun and uh-huh. through and gets shot, and now Bill has to drag him. Or from, Bill goes out there trying. Or Bill dragged him, him and be like, shot. "You're going to get yeah. your ass shot," and he gets. Yeah, they could have done it a bunch of different ways without making Bill seem like he is just a complete failure at his again capital P purpose. But right. that's just me, and it wasn't a it wasn't a fatal error. It just was something that I was frowny face about. <laughs> All right, that's the last of the non-spoiler emails, the non-video game emails, uh, which means it's time for everyone who wants to remain as pure as the driven snow, as pure as the fresh fungal spore on a cordyceps victim, pure white. Just, 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 just protect yourself from any kind of spoilage. You want to get out now. Tlu at baldmove.com is where you want to send your feedback for this episode and future ones. We'll be back on Sunday night. Uh, it will just be me. With my buddy Macer Anthony from the uh, House of the Dragon Bukaloo uh, book review podcast that he does for us here at Bald Move. Jim will be recovering from our Groundhog Day marathon. Um, also, everyone is cordially invited. This weekend is our annual Groundhog Day marathon fundraising celebration. We're raising money for the Cure uh, Alzheimer's Fund, folks. We will be watching every Fast and Furious movie starting at noon this Saturday until noon on Sunday. We'll have just enough time to see all 10 films with a 15-minute break between each one. We'll be streaming it all on twitch.tv slash baldmove and, uh, again, raising money for a good uh, cause, a cured Alzheimer's group. So if you'd like to stop by at any time, we'd appreciate it. Go to groundhog.baldmove.com if you want to find out the full details, if you want to uh, earmark your favorite movie to come watch with us, or if you want to spend... Uh, the beginning or end or whatever. We appreciate everybody stay, uh, you know, coming by, especially if you're... I find the from 3 a.m. to sunup is the worst time. It's the one where I feel real mm-hmm. tired. The chat kind of ebbs. There's a lot of the North American people have gone to bed. That's the toughest time. So if, uh, uh, if, if you're up and around at that time, 3 a.m. to sunrise, Eastern, Eastern Standard Time in America, we'd really appreciate you coming by and giving us attaboy or keeping us up so groundhog.baldmove.com if you want to know more about that uh jim will be asleep recovering Mm -hmm. i'm a little bit different in how i recover so i'm going to be watching the episode and covering with anthony 
That's all happening Sunday night. If you want to watch live, be a supporter. Support.baldmove.com so you can get access to that ad-free feeds and tons of other bonus content. We'll see you Sunday night. Uh, I'm really, yeah, this is, yeah, I'm looking forward to every single episode. And uh, I can't wait to continue the story. We'll see you Sunday and next week for the full podcast and the the, uh, feedback edition. T-Lou, T-L-O-U at baldmove.com if you want to send in feedback. All right. That's enough time, everybody. Get out if you don't want to be spoiled. We're here in the spore lore section, Jim. Mm-hmm. Dave from Ohio is going to lead us off. Says, an instant take podcast, you wondered how hardcore gamers would feel about this episode in light of the drastic changes. <laughs> Here's my take. The Bill section of the narrative serves two purposes. Mm-hmm. You get Bill and Ellie a uh, working vehicle, and you plant a seed of change in Joel. Both the game and the show accomplish this, but mirror each other in the way that seed is planted. In the game, Bill helps Joel and Ellie get a vehicle through a very gamey, action-oriented sequence. At one point, Bill says, Once upon a time, I had someone that I cared about. It was a partner, somebody I had to look after. And in this world, that sort of shit's good for one thing, getting you killed. Near the end of the action sequence, we get a scene where the trio discovers Frank's corpse. Frank got infected trying to leave Bill and left behind a suicide note that reads in part, I want you to know that I hated your guts. I grew tired of this shitty town and your setting your ways attitude. I wanted more from life than this, and you can never get that. As Joel and Ellie drive away from a very much alive Bill, Joel also, in a way, starts to leave behind the closed-off, emotionally withdrawn side of himself that Bill represents. Game Bill serves as a perfect example for what may lie ahead for Joel if he does not change, namely a sad, lonely existence. The show swaps Game Bill's warning for Joel if he does not change to an example of hope that shows Joel what he may become if he does. If Bill, the ultimate survivalist, can find love and a purpose for living beyond simply surviving in this world, so can Joel. I don't expect a Joel epiphany or anything like that, but it's a block and a foundation that will ultimately guide Joel's decision at the end of his journey. So what did I think? As a hardcore gamer, I loved it. It accomplished its two narrative goals. It had to hit through the lens of a beautiful, well-acted love story. It was nothing like I expected it to be. I'm so glad it was. Bill and Frank deserve their new happy ending. I thought this was... This, this re- entirely reflected my attitude towards this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. Uh, Brent says, overall, I have to say I'm disappointed in episode three of The Last of Us. I played both games multiple times. Part one is my favorite game of all time. It's as close to a perfect game as I've ever played. That being said, Bill's Town is my favorite chapter of the game. The character and interaction with Joel and most of all Ellie are so much fun, so comical to watch. He's the perfect antidote to the apocalypse. His traps, his knowledge of survival, what happened with him and Frank in the game, the letter, and the gameplay is just so good. I can't tell you how many times I died hanging from that fucking rope in the garage trying to kill infected <laughs> yeah. while upside down, and I loved it. It's a great, great sequence. Mm-hmm. This episode is going to be my... F- <laughs> I will say. It is. Do they reverse the controls? Was that part of the... I was no, trying to wonder if they reversed they the did. controls to be upside down because I remember that being really a frustrating part because you had because you also have to protect Ellie too. She's right out there like if you let an infected grab her for like more than five seconds, they tear her head off. So uh, yeah, she's trying to cut you down. It takes her forever. 
She's so And slow. you don't have a ton of ammo. That's the other thing. Uh-huh. You also have to make those shots because you just like just a pow, 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 you're going to run out. So uh, this episode is going to be my favorite of the series as well. I predetermined it and then I watched it. Once I fast forward to 10 years ahead and I saw two old men, it began to dawn on me what this is. This would not be showing any of the stuff that I mentioned. Everything I loved about this chapter in the game would be left to the game. I was so upset and disappointed they chose to cover this chapter this way. The story they told, of course, was done really well, and my wife, who's never played the game, felt exactly opposite. This is her favorite episode yet. She cried big while I seethed. I will get over it at some point, probably after the next time. This idea of this man's wife crying on the couch as he's just fuming. <laughs> is you son of a grumbling. bitch. This isn't my bitch. Hey, where's the rope? <laughs> yeah, you think this is... Um, <laughs> like the dad from Christmas Story. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I will get over it at some point, probably after the next episode. But man, I feel like they lost a big chance to do something even more memorable with the show if they'd kept it true to the gameplay. I think this type of story would have worked better between Riley and Ellie because you actually do explore the relationship in the game and then they could have kept Bill's Town chapter much like it was. So disappointed. Um What do you what do you have to say? What do you have to say to this, Jim? I, I feel you. Like if you're a big fan of the game, I bet you were and specifically this sequence. This is your favorite uh, part. part of the game. Favorite right. part in the game. I imagine you were really looking forward to the Bill and Ellie stuff. Um, that action sequence in particular is very good. I can see why you would be disappointed because it is extremely different. Um, that said, I, the game is always there to go back to, right? Yeah. You can still have that experience. This has not taken anything away. It just, yeah, I, I get it. If you're disappointed that the show that has been so well adapted uh, in it, up up to this point and even you know all the way to this point if you're uh of my opinion yeah i, I think i think i i get it where you're coming from but also this was such a good episode as evidenced by you know its effect on your wife i think it's different but it's still very very good and like i said that original experience is still there if you want it yeah expectations can really fuck with you totally um, I will say that it because this the Billtown sequence, the Billville sequence in the game also includes the high school sequence where you first uh-huh. meet a bloater, right? Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the elements do show up and later. Like I would be kind of surprised if Joel doesn't get tied up by a rope in some mm-hmm. fashion and have. Although I wonder if people would see that as unbelievable. That you got this guy hanging from a rope with a six shooter by his ankles and he's nailing headshots at zombies while they're chewing on this little girl. Like, will that actually play in a live action thing that is kind of, you know, you do like I've seen people play The Last of Us where it's crazy shit. Like Joel will do a spin roll off a roof and drop down and blam, blam yeah. the shotgun and smoothly switch to a brick and hit somebody and then shiv him. And it's like they're playing it like he is a special forces commando because they're so fucking good at the game. Mm hmm. But that would just complete if I saw Pedro doing that shit like John wicking people, it would completely take me out of the game because especially I played Joel. (laughs) Sure. I played Joel like he's shitting his pants at every single and he's Uh taking maximum curve and he's running away screaming like a little girl if something gets too close to him. Like (laughs) I like I I, I don't play him like um, I do. uh, Who's the fucker in like like um, Nathan Drake? 
and Uncharted. Nathan no. Drake and Uncharted is like Indiana Jones, where I'm just throwing myself into gunfights willy nilly, not caring. The last of the so like I, I play on like Sam Fisher, where I am so terrified of getting into any kind of firefight that I will sit master. for 45 minutes analyzing Watching people's walking their... patterns, <laughs> right, right? Until I make a move, yeah. You know, I used to do that until I realized I think games are designed for you to just kind of immediately go into it. Like, I don't think you're supposed Uncharted to Uncharted is. Uncharted, you'll get yeah. flanked and fucked before you know it if you don't move but in. You, but do you but, think The Last of Us, because like, I, I, like, if you watch a clicker doing their routes and like, you sit, spend uh, five minutes, I feel like that's harder than if you just go and start going methodically to work on them. Like, I'm not saying just go in guns blazing, but like sure, if one's sure. got its back to you and it's turning around the corner, follow it. It's not going to yeah, be, it's yeah. not going to, yeah, you know. So, and then if you do, the, yeah, I, cause yeah, I, I feel like the game design, they're not thinking that like, oh, someone's going to sit, but that's, that's how I tend to play them too. So I, I don't even know if some of that stuff would translate. Do you want to see a bloater in episode three? Do you want to save that for something a little bit more later in the season? Especially because of the clickers were introduced like right off the bat too. Right. Yeah. And you, we yeah. haven't fully exploited the horror of those yet, you know? Yeah. And I know that's all part of the bill sequence too. Like there's a right. lot of clickers in the bill sequence, but yeah, it's a big, big action sequence, tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I, I, I feel like I it wouldn't be surprised if they remix some of the more notable aspects of the show, of of the video game into later parts of the series. Uh, that's one of the reasons I was circumspect in how I talked about the Bill Town because I didn't I knew it's like well I don't want to talk about the in depth stuff because I could see them using some of these set pieces later even mm-hmm. if Bill himself is not part of it. So like there's still a chance and also just some stuff just doesn't play. You know, a, a five-minute sequence of uh, of of Joel dangling upside down, shooting people while Ellie's trying to desperately cut him down. I I don't know how you do that on the screen. So especially in a show where the main character has already said, "Uh, yeah, this scar on my head, it's from a gunshot where a guy missed right. me. Did you get him? No, nah, I missed too. Happens a lot because that happens, like, right? Because you know, yeah, even, I'm, even I'm trained military commando. folks like miss the vast majority of their shots. Like they've done studies where it's like hmm. 50 bullets to get one hit because people are suppressing fire. People are panic shooting. People are sure, sure. not like, cause like, you know, you're looking at the guy, they're looking at you too. So like the, you know, the temptation is just to put your gun over and fire blind or mm-hmm. take snapshots. So, or shoot um, while moving that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And plus it's, I, I've heard, I've never killed a person, but I've heard it's surprisingly hard to actually do it. Like when you got someone lined up and shoot them, like it's it's actually we have a lot of inbuilt things that keep us from doing that. And the military's job is to systematically dismantle those those safety features so that you're comfortable with killing people. <laughs> ah, um, Joel got over that in the first episode. Kill yeah. an old lady, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I, I hope uh, obviously you're going to keep watching and, and I hope uh, you you find your, your joy again. But uh, I think we'll be OK. Anthony says, I haven't seen many people talk about this, but it certainly doesn't seem like an accident that show has reinforced twice that it's not possible to make a cure vaccine for the cordyceps. Uh, we saw it as reinforced in the prologues for episode one and two. This is something that's being discussed amongst more science-minded fans, but according to the NIH, currently there are no immunotherapeutics or vaccines approved for the treatment of fungal infections. I think the Firefly's plan is a fool's errand, and I doubt the science has been cracked in a collapsed society. Joel's decision at the end of the game feels like a real moral quandary as a player because most of us don't know that. But the Mm -hmm. show seems to be setting up audiences to know such a cure is not possible. 
Do you think the show is trying to change the moral calculus of that final decision? Ooh. Because I, I, this is something I know you and I don't think see quite eye to eye about uh-huh. the end of The Last of Us. Yeah, because look, the fact that there aren't any currently doesn't mean that there can't be any in the future. And I know, like, look, okay, technology is not what it used to be in this world, and it's going to be much yeah. harder without all the support sure. that we have in our modern society. But, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I view the final decision of Joel as stealing hope from the world, to to selfishly, to have it for himself uh, in some ways, and also for Ellie. I mean, obviously, he's saving her life in that moment, but it's largely about him protecting his daughter too. So like it's kind of selfish. It's, it's very selfish. I I'm not on Joel's side with that final decision, especially because he lies to Ellie about it. That's the thing. Mm. That's the real kicker. He doesn't give her the choice. It's going to be really interesting debating with you after the season is concluded. Uh, Cause like I, especially the second time I played through, I had a, a I, I was very much on Anthony's side here where, mm-hmm. My suspicion was that the Fireflies were just were like mad scientist types that didn't have a well thought out application that was going to butcher this young girl to no effect and did have a ramshackle and I I didn't have any hope and and the fact that they didn't bother to even try to get Ellie's consent like because you can always violate it later I mean clearly you're comfortable (laughs) Uh with that. But like you sure. even try to sit her down and have her and, and, and also like do you have to do it that fucking day? You can't like give her a moment to say goodbye to Joel and then have jo- like they just handled it so stupid. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I'm kind of on Anthony's side, but like I also agree with what you say, like just because something's been impossible up to now and there's no known therapies or vaccines approved doesn't mean that 20 years into the future. Uh, you don't have a brilliant person that can't figure something out. You know, yeah, I would love to see the dollars, the, the dollar amounts to go into antifungal vaccines and therapeutic treatments and stuff right now, because I bet it's right not now, high. I bet it's not yeah. nearly as much as uh, goes into cancer research or something. Sure. And look, because it's the, not that big a problem for us. It, our, exactly, our biggest problem with the fungus exactly. is athletes feet, foot and jock itch. Yeah. And you put some lamisil on and you're okay. Why would we concentrate on developing uh, remedies to that stuff? Well, we wouldn't because we got much bigger problems to worry about. So when that becomes your biggest problem and and the idea is we're going to focus all of our efforts on fixing this thing, I think yeah. you can get you can make seemingly miraculous uh, breakthroughs. You have a much smaller research budget, but it's devoted 99% to antifungals, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's just I, I don't know. Now, I will say that the second game, seeing it, seeing some. Um, well, I can't talk about the second game. I will say the second game changed my mind a little bit post hoc of the moral calculus. But that's okay. honestly part two's whole shtick yeah, is yeah. changing your ideas of moral calculus and, and how things work. So uh, but we're going to talk about that because we're not in the super spore lore section. Uh, Chris from Colorado says I want to write you and let you know of a cool Easter egg I noticed in episode three the scene towards the end of the episode at the hour three mark or right at the hour four mark after Bill and Frank drank their suicide wine Frank says take me to bed Bill starts wheeling Frank away from the table in his wheelchair and you can hear the exact same music cue they play during the game's infamous giraffe sequence oh really okay yeah I thought that was a cool cool detail 
Yeah. So so are they trying to highlight the beauty of this moment? Because that's definitely what's going so. on in the giraffe sequence. I think so. And it makes me wonder if they're going to run that back for this or they're going to have something even more Max Richtery to really know. hit bang that scene home. I don't know. That's the the thing. That's the thing I'm looking forward to seeing. Um if they fucking change the zebras, I'm going to riot. I swear to Christ. I swear to Christ. <laughs> zebras. You can't see it. You can't touch a zebra from a second story building. <laughs> Hell no, you can't. Uh, well, they couldn't afford a second story and need ad- adaptation. So they're just gotcha. walking out on ground floor. Yeah. <laughs> zebras. Gary, yeah, they're going Gary... to ride zebras right into the Firefly building. I get a, cr- I get a big kick out of knowing to a moral certainty that some of you son of a bitches are not game players and you're in the spoiler section uh, wanting to get titillated with out of context spoilers and I just like what do you make of what we've been talking about for the last five minutes uh, Gary V says when Tess gives her farewells to Joel at the end of episode two she does so with making Joel promise her that she'll get he'll get back to Ellie or get Ellie to Bill and Frank's with the implication that they'll be taken care of uh, getting Ellie to the Firefly somewhere out west. That final request of Tess seems somewhat misguided based off the characterization of Bill and Frank that we see in the show. I wonder what makes Tess think they'd upend their safety and stability to get a girl they've never met to the other side of the country. This is in contrast to Tess' final request, as it was in the game, that Joel get uh, Ellie to Tommy, which makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I get why they had to make the change for the show. Neil slash Craig want to set up drama to the fate of Tommy and establish that he may or may not be in some sort of danger, whereas game Tommy is just estranged from Joel out in Wyoming, but in relative safety. Still, based on how Frank and Bill are written for the show, it seems like that would be something the show test would be cognizant of and not want to upend. Seems like she should have made Joel a promise to still take Ellie West himself to find Tommy, etc. Hmm. Is this like a link in her head where she knows the bill will have a truck that they need to get there? Um, That's what I was thinking. She has very little yeah. time and she's thinking if Joel takes a day hike with this girl, he's going to feel personally responsible because that's who he is. <laughs> uh-huh. And he'll be able to sweet talk Bill with with Frank on his side about that's you've got to thing. help this guy get that. that I think she's leaning yep. a lot on Frank. Because totally. and, it, and there's there's a lot of things that show that Frank really had the pants in this relationship. Uh huh. Because when push came to shove, Frank usually won those shoves. I also don't think that Frank ever asked anything that was crazy either. Oh no! Like no. It's like he let Bill have his way ninety percent of the time, but then puts his foot down about like we are going to have friends, we are going to live a fucking life, we're not going to be paranoid lunatic to the extent that you want us to be. And I think Tess saw that. She saw like. Frank taking her inside over Bill's frantic protestations. Uh-huh. Uh, she saw Frank giving gifts when she knows Bill wouldn't approve of it and Bill being cool with it. So I think she's making a big bet on Frank. Yeah. And I love it. Cause it's in, um, in keeping with like who Frank is. And then when you see Joel and, and Bill and who they are and Bill specifically says, call Joel, yeah. uh, when he thinks he's dying, I, I think there's like, a symmetry there it's really nice like Tess says get him to Bill but what she means is get get her to Frank because Frank will you know convince Bill to do this thing yeah. and, and then yeah Bill's like get Joel because he'll come here and regulate yeah I agree and I, you can almost see Frank like Joel rolling up with Ellie and Bill's like absolutely not we're not taking this girl in uh-huh. and Frank's like look you either give Joel the truck or I'm taking the truck 
and Ellie and Joel, and you can stay here and be miserable, and we're going to Wyoming. And totally. Bill's like, fine. You know, like, <laughs> what's he going to do? Uh-huh. What's he going to do? He loses purpose? Oh, fuck off. So I... I think if you if you watch it once and you know the video game knowledge and you you, you take who Bill was at the beginning of this episode, it doesn't make sense. But I think I, I it made a lot of sense to me. All right, people who haven't played video game two, Last of Us two, we're gonna have one single super spore lore speculation about how you can handle the Last of Us two. Uh, it's the last thing we're gonna be talking about. So if you haven't played the second game and you don't want to know anything about it. Uh, I would encourage you to shut off now. T. Lou at baldmove.com. We'll be back next week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. All right. I think you've had enough time to switch off the podcast. We're going to now talk about Dustin Goes to Hollywood's suggestion of how to bring The Last of Us 2 to our small screens. In the super sporeless sporelores section of the feedback for episode two, you pondered how HBO could manage to adapt The Last of Us Part 2 with as much so much story to tell and such a large shift in perspective. Jim suggesting tying Ellie and Abby's story together at the same time, but I believe that would only cause some confusion in the timeline for show-only fans and potentially alienate viewers who will have to endure watching the day-to-day life of Abby immediately after the episode where Abby (laughs) inevitably murders Joel. Mm -hmm. I wanted to pitch my idea for getting all of this into a singular season. I think the answer is simple. Just do what the game did. We've got two episodes in. We're only two episodes in right now, but the show has almost copied and pasted story thus far, which makes sense. The heavy lifting is mostly done. Storyboarding is as simple as grabbing screen grabs from the game. Your dialogue's already written. The biggest undertaking, as I see it, is fitting this all into a story into 8 to 12 episode run. My pitch is to keep the story told as is, to switching up the perspectives halfway through and to switch back towards the end, but just follow the Stranger Things 4 model. Split the season in half with a small window in between releasing parts A and B. Season 2A can focus on the story of Ellie hunting Abby up until the clash at the abandoned theater, we take a month or two to collect our thoughts, get the word of mouth going strong, and it's a great cliffhanger to leave us wanting to come back. Then HBO kicks off season 2B with the focus on Abby and completes the story by the end of 2B's run. There could even be a few more episodes for 2B to accommodate the switch back to Ellie if needed. The only two downsides I could potentially see with this method, number one, the wait for season 2 to premiere would potentially be much longer than if they decided to split the game into two distinct and separate seasons and release them like they would other any other show. And number two, the potential viewer backlash for those who have not played the games would yes. not want to watch the adventures of Abby at the beginning of 2B after all the atrocities she commits in 2A, much mm-hmm. like how most first-time players of the second game inevitably felt once they reached that part. I personally don't mind waiting a little longer for the second season if it means getting the full story told all at once rather than waiting for two separate seasons, but I could understand HBO's urgency with not keeping viewers waiting too long and settling on splitting the time, the story into two seasons. Um, my only feedback on this is why do we need to take the month or two off? Sure. Why can't you just do it next week? I feel like that exacerbates a lot of these issues where people have time to become entrenched into fuck Abby and what the rest mm-hmm. of the story is going to be at. Like I could see, whereas if you just roll the next week, like you kind of inertia forces people to come on board, you know? Yeah. It's a tough thing, man. Cause I, you're, you're halfway through the game when this all happens and you're forced into her perspective and you fucking hate it. You don't want to be you in really her do. skin. That's, that's not a place that is comfortable for you. And 
but you're halfway through a game. What are you going to do? Stop playing? Or are you going to assume, okay, this is just a, a small diversion here. We'll be back to Ellie soon. What if you go, you know, a couple of months between the the half seasons, you come back, you're with Abby, a character you fucking hate because you've been talking about it for a month with your friends. How much I fucking, oh, that, that oh, Abby, she's the worst. And then you come back and, okay, episode one, there's no Ellie to be found. You're mm-hmm. only with Abby. It's like, God, this is terrible. You're going to get review bombs uh, for legitimate reasons. Like, I don't feel good about watching this character. Uh, they've they've ruined the show by switching perspectives. And you're going to get that for the first few weeks. I would love to see the ratings because I guarantee they would fall off. I guarantee a second half of that season that is only Abby for I a large love chunk to see it. Yeah. would yeah. drop off. People would quit that show. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not all of the people but a lot of people i think because it's so uncomfortable and it's meant to be, be right it would be polarized yeah yeah so and i think you need to that... ease that a little bit and and mm. i don't know they they have a legitimate challenge with that because the point of it is i feel extremely bad about playing this character until i don't and then until you spend a mile in her shoes and right you see because you're talking about all the atrocities <sighs> abby creates or if like joel is one giant atrocity like he mm-hmm. kills so many people mm-hmm. and you can argue about the fireflies and the righteousness of their cause and whether they should. Sure, but sure. like ultimately not even Ellie agrees with the decision he makes at the end of that game. Yeah. So like that's the magic is like I was as pissed off as anybody. I think we talked about this in a uh, off the clock podcast of our thoughts on playing this. But like I felt that exact same thing. Like fuck this Abby shit. Mm-hmm. I spent again like the first hour playing just trying to get her killed in every way I could because <laughs> uh-huh. it was like you know fuck this. Fuck, fuck her and fuck that's what she point. did to Joel and um, but that's because they weren't my tribe mm-hmm. but by the end of it Abby has kind of entered to my tribe and Abby's learned and grown and, and now like uh, at the end of the game I'm not on Ellie's side you know I desperately don't want to do in the last level what Ellie's come there to do and that is fucking magic I like I said I was so and still am impressed with The Last of Us 2 uh, but, but people haven't People won't have paid $60 to get the second half of that season. People already did pay right. their $60 to get the game. They were already playing the game. They could just... Right. As as Mason says, you never have to put down the controller. You could play that yes. final sequence with Ellie, uh, or with Joel, rather, and then roll right in in the next two seconds into Abby's story and feel bad about it, but keep pushing through it because, well, mm-hmm. I've got another hour to play, you know? Whereas with the show, it's going to stop. It's going to force you to think about it. And it's going to force you to question every week. Do I want to see another episode with this character that I hate from their POV? Yeah. Um, I want to hit you with something. Does it blunt the impact or reduce the friction that it's not a video game? Like it's a fundamentally different thing to live as Joel sure. and Ellie and then see this asshole murder them. And then now you're being forced to to do all like all the interactions mm-hmm. with her. Do all is it is it is that going to protect like so that the game um, the show oh, watchers man. won't feel quite which I think is a is a plus and a minus. It's easier to get them to tell the, the, the go for along for the story. But it also might blunt the impact of actually walking in those shoes. I think so, a little bit. I think it's more visceral to actually be controlling that character. 
Like God, if there, right. we just watched uh, Schindler's List. If there was Jesus, a, a Rafe finds video game Schindler's List version, I would not play that character. I would probably yeah. quit the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, it's, you know, it's not that bad here. But right, yeah, people right. are not going to be happy being forced into her POV, even though it's not a video game. Yeah. I'm very curious to see. I, it's it's going to be fun because, again, we, we know they're going to do it. We know they've got renewed, so they're definitely going to do it now. Those, yeah, it's those just a question of how. I, I'm trying to give them – I'm trying to figure out a way to retain the audience, to make this transition as easy as possible, but, like, kind of some of the point is to not make it easy. So I, I don't know mm-hmm. which way they'll go. Uh, I lied. There's actually one more email. Um, it's very okay. short. Um, Logan R says, I want to point out that changing the timeline from 2013 to 2033 to 20, 2003 to 2023 means that the Pearl Jam song Future Days cannot be included in the show as it was released <laughs> in 2013. Hmm. You'll recall this is a show that Joel sings to Ellie at the beginning of the game and the show, the song she slowly works her way through throughout the game. If the line, if I were ever to lose you, I'd surely lose myself is the driving force of much of the emotional weight of the game as Ellie slowly becomes more and more violent on her pathway to revenge. I'm sure they can find a different song or a different way to tell that emotional story, but I'm kind of bummed by them changing the timeline and losing the song. Less 10 years after the world ending pandemic, Pearl Jam is still against all odds releasing records. <laughs> I'm thinking have to figure something out. Look, they're headed to Seattle. I think maybe there are some <laughs> demo tapes they could find, right? Sure. So, sure. so it's a, it's a stripped down version of the song, but it's still the song. Who knows? And here's the thing to, to, to take this seriously is like, look, don't get me wrong. I like Pearl Jam. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. I like that grunge stuff. Uh, Future Days is great. But there's a hundred different pop songs in the last 50 years that express these very similar sentiments. Okay. Absolutely. Like, I'm curious of which one they'll go for. But, you know. I I just think that there's I mean I had one and when I was reading this email for the first time this morning I had one in mind I was going to suggest and I've fucking forgotten it even flow <laughs> well I still like to um a little too like that same time period right even oh flow? You're just, okay no, you're that's, like that's literally a, anything off a of ten yeah. we can yeah yeah uh black right uh um. I don't know. I I I don't worry. I think that you know they they made this crazy Linda Ron Ron uh, Ronstadt Ron call. You got me fucked. I don't know how many ends are in this name now. Just one. Uh, but they, where is they, it? And apparently, um, uh, Craig Mason has this friend with encyclopedia encyclopedic knowledge of like the perfect show tune, the perfect pop music, all this stuff. And like mm-hmm. if that guy can't shit out a tear jerking poignant pop song that Joel teaches her at the beginning of volume two, then I will be shocked, but it does mm-hmm. suck for all of us Pearl jam fans that we're not going to get that exact one. Also, I wouldn't put it past him to just do a naked anachronism. Oh yeah. 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 Like are people like how many people are really going to think, Oh, 2003 Pearl. Oh yeah. Um, hmm. you know, cause like, I don't think of Pearl jam as 2013. No, like I haven't listened to Pearl Jam since about 2003. In fact, until Logan pointed this out, I was unaware that that would cause a time problem. Uh So if you really want Pearl Jam, I guess you could just say 
they had a you know like Joel Joel had a and I think he suggested someone suggested that because uh, this came up a couple times this week's email that Joel could like find a demo tape or something or mm-hmm. Garage Days type of thing, but yeah, I'm uh, things have to change sometime when you're ad- ad- adapting if they can't find a song that has similar emotional resonance with the entire canon of Western pop music then then I don't know. Uh, that's going to do it for today's giant feedback episode. Tlu at baldmove.com is how you, you, know, you send us feedback. Uh, I've already talked about the Groundhog Day thing. Groundhog.baldmove.com if you want details on that. Starts noon this Sunday. Trying to raise money for a great cause, a cure Alzheimer's Foundation. Saturday. Not Sunday. Saturday. God damn it. You're right. Saturday at noon till Sunday at noon. Uh, 24 hours. Oh, my God. We're getting too old for this shit, Jim. Way too old. Uh but we're, we're doing it anyway. Uh, we hope you join us. We hope you join us uh, Sunday night for the instant take and uh, continue our coverage of uh, The Last of Us and Savage Star- Starlight. Fingers crossed, maybe this is the week we get a Savage Starlight appearance. I hope so. A can poster, we get, a Can we get book. a Savage Starlight appearance? They got to. They got to. They Something. got to. We'll have another Fiesta cast when they do. Uh, anyway, we'll talk to you guys here in a bit. Uh, have a great weekend. Hope to see you Sunday night. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye.